0: Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McCardle. Welcome along to the Fox Rugby Podcast, and isn't it nice to be celebrating a Wallabies win uh, over Argentina on the weekend. Joining us this week, Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au, Andrew Swain, welcome to you once again. This is three weeks in a row. It's
1: becoming a habit. Well, so it should be. Really. I feel like I feel like there's, there's a bit of spike in listeners to the podcast. I've had feedback from all over the world. I think I said it last. You said time. that last yeah. time. Yeah, New Jersey, Wales. Um, you know, it keeps coming. Really, so let's just keep it going. So, Andrew, taking it to the world, Swain. So,
0: thanks for being here. And and Christy, as I said, it is cause for celebration. There Hasn't been a lot of cause for celebration in terms of uh, Wallaby performances over the last. Year
2: or so, but uh, what did you make of that win over Argentina? (laughs) Look... The first half, you're just thinking they've got to, you know, stick those hands together and the passes together. Unfortunately, they only came away with one try, and another couple of blown opportunities. But it was good to see them uh, get a nice set-piece play going to score. It was well finished off by Hodge after a couple of passes that weren't particularly great. Kafe was kind of scathing of, of the of the passing. Well, and Kearnsey as well as we were sitting
0: watching it um, lamenting the skills but you know it was a try and it was a it was a nice move
1: it's test rugby though it's yeah. not it's never going to be no. easy no. right so the argies are you know they're a brilliant team um, and so for the wallabies to win that test match great result well, yeah.
2: wasn't it nice to see a couple of penalties Either so, or, uh, shortly after half time you know just banked the points t- ten uh, what was it thirteen three and then sixteen three and the the momentum yeah, we were i suppose in control, but look that last twenty minutes there were probably hearts and mouths, um, particularly after they scored that that late late one with what six seven minutes to yeah, go it's good So, so um and,
0: and Sweeney, you were rubbing shoulders with uh, some of the Argentinians on, on the weekend?
1: Oh, look, I ran in. They were staying at the same hotel they were. that we were in Brisbane and um, getting in the lift afterwards um, at at the Hilton. All the RG side arrived at the same time and uh, getting in the lift with the team doctor who had all the medico kits. We also had a big... Bucket full of Forex um, golds on ice. I was like, oh, Milton Mangoes, eh? He just looked at me, care? <laughs> I was like, uh, cerveza, uh, uno más, cerveza. It didn't really go down great. Um, how, long right. you, how long did you spend in Argentina earlier this year? Yeah, well, a few, a few weeks. Uh, Learned a little bit. Yeah. I I mean, clearly, to say, not enough. Well, I learned how to say Cerveza. Cerveza. I didn't learn how to say, explain that this Forex Gold is its nickname is a Milton Mango. <laughs> and um, yeah, hello Forex Gold. So um, it's fair to say they had an all right night afterwards anyway. Oh, they probably had a couple of um, mid strength Forex Golds yeah, I to think it wash was, it down afterwards. I think yeah. it was fairly sedate. I hopped
0: in to live with Facundo and I said to him, I said, oh, mate, you almost didn't play tonight. And of course, he did play, but yeah. Argentina handed yeah. out the wrong team sheet. Before the game, that didn't have him on the team sheet. So then we announced that yeah. he was out of the side, and then it turns out that he was always playing. I was trying to sort of, you know, make, <laughs> make a light conversation. I'm, i mean, in English, I'm not terribly humorous or, or much of a conversationalist. That must um, have been a really boring. let alone ride. It, it really was. And he looked at me, said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Well, you, you. in the end, I just I got to my floor and I'm just, so, good night, mate. I've got to, I've got to go. <laughs> went went absolutely nowhere." Hell of a nice bloke, but um, communication wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so coming up, Nick. It's one of those stories.
0: <laughs> Can we edit that out? <laughs> what do I do for a job? Oh, my God. Um, today, coming up, um, Ian Toolin, uh who is – you may not know the name, but uh, he's been for the last few years an analyst with um, – with the Melbourne Rebels. He's from Ireland and he was with Ireland when they won the two thousand and nine World Cup. And I know that term um, that you've spoken to him, Christine, he's got some interesting S- six thoughts. Six nations. Uh, sorry it was six six nations. Yeah. What did I say World Cup? World, Cup. World Cup. I've never won a World Cup. Well and certainly not in two thousand and nine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because got the there semis, wasn't one. actually yeah. Mm.
2: Yeah, that's their big goal. Yeah. So,
0: um, yeah, you, you've obviously had a chat with him. He's got some uh, interesting thoughts on what the Aussies are doing at the moment.
2: Exactly. Looking forward to, to ch- catching up with him and, and hopefully, what, Kaif shortly yeah, after?
0: Rod Kaif are going to join us. So he was sideline. Interesting comments from him about the Wallabies' defence on the weekend. They changed it up a little bit. He liked what he saw. He's got some other uh, thoughts on the game. So let's get to Owen. <laughs> You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Oh, and and thanks for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. It's great to have you along, mate.
3: Thanks, Nick. Yeah, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me on.
0: Let's uh, get a bit of your story before we dive too much into what you're seeing with uh, particularly the Wallabies at the moment. But uh, I think as as the interview progresses, we might be able to tell that you're from Ireland. You enjoyed some success uh, in terms of Grand Slam success, with Ireland and it was Tony McGann who got you to the Melbourne Rebels. Tell us uh, a bit about how you got started in uh, in game
3: analysis. Yeah, I, I, it was back in 2008. Um, I came on board with the Irish na- national team. Uh, Declan and Kidney had just assembled it a pretty world-class coaching staff. Um Kurt Small had just come off the back of a World Cup win with um Jake White, um, Alan Gaffney, who you'll, you'll all know really well, came on board as the attacking coach uh, with a wealth of experience. And uh Les Kiss came on as defence coach, and he had just been, I think, with the Waratahs, who had gotten to the 2008 Super Rugby final as their defence coach. So a really world-class coaching ticket had been assembled. Um, and yeah, it was great to work alongside those guys and, and lean on their rugby expertise along with um, probably a once-in-a-generation group of uh, players with O'Driscoll, O'Connell and O'Gara. Um, so yeah, as a kind of a guy in his, in his 20s, it was uh, from a formative perspective as uh, a real steep learning curve um, in, a, in a kind of world-class rugby environment.
2: And then what uh, you, you come, you get brought over to to the Rebels, and you've you've been there for the, what, the last five six years.
3: Yeah, yeah. Tony McGann had obviously spent some time in Munster as a head coach, and um, he he uh, he had a conversation with Alan Gaffney, and they brought me over in twenty thirteen, and and he was really just looking for someone to, I guess to help him interpret data and vision and kind of assist in that strategic direction of of the rugby program at at the Rebels, which was probably in a bit of a rebuild phase when, when Tony came on board kind of late 2013. So it was exciting to be kind of a part of that overall um, from a, I guess, a technological perspective, but also from a, from a rugby program perspective, well, it would
2: be interesting just to get a bit of a, a for the punters out there a bit of an insight into actually what you're doing at the Rebels. And I know that we had a, a drink just the last or a couple of weeks back, and you gave one specific example around the penalty count. Can you just tell us about that really one? Because it was quite a clear cut example.
3: Yeah, I guess I guess one of my remits was probably uh, a lot of referee analysis, um, see see trends and how certain referees referee what they're looking for, what pictures they like and don't like at the breakdown because um, ultimately referees are humans and, and they have certain things that they will definitely lean lean towards uh, and definitely trends that you can analyze so I think the Rebels went from having the worst discipline in 2014 to going on to have the best discipline in 2015 and 16 so just I guess building, building an awareness of uh, our players around what referees are going to look for but also I guess an educational piece around the laws of the game and and how you can utilise them to your advantage. And
1: you've also had a a chance to actually put on that head coach's hat as well around the the Rebels Rising, the NRC teams. So how was that experience for you?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think it's becoming more of a kind of natural evolution for analysts to to move into coaching roles given, I guess, the sheer volume of um, of rugby you look at from an analysis perspective. And then being able to, uh, I guess the key is being able to transition from that rugby knowledge into, uh, into a coaching role and that transfer of information, um, which is obviously pretty critical. Um, so yeah, it was great to get the opportunity. Dave Vessels was very good to uh, give me some more coaching exposure over the years. And yeah, I had a great time last year with the, with the rising. It was, um, it was a really good experience. And then going on to do some coaching with the Rebels as well, from a, I guess, a kicking, kick strategy perspective, the last two years has been, has been really, really enjoyable.
0: Now, I know, I know you've uh, analysed both games on the weekend. Let's talk mm-hmm. about Australia and Argentina first up, and you would have had a look at uh, Australia against South Africa the week before. I'm keen to get your, th- get your thoughts on this new uh, attacking strategy, attacking pattern that Michael Chek has talked a little bit about, although I've noted that he hasn't gone into too much depth he's basically saying well it's it's ad lib and you know we just go out there and and have a crack so publicly it's almost like there's no system to it what's your uh, analysis your take on the way they they've changed things up there have you noticed much difference
3: yeah there's definitely a difference to how they were playing in previous seasons i i, I think firstly from a from a selection perspective there was there was four changes from uh, to the back line from last week's test against south africa to this week and combinations is such a critical component to international rugby um so i think christian and karevi was probably the first time they've played together as a 10 and 12 so things like that are going to take time to bed in especially in a, in a new attacking system but um yeah, i thought one of the one of the things that i definitely noticed was at times their attack just getting a touch narrow um so for one example there, there was nine occasions the wallabies ended up on the edge and what i mean by the edge is they had a ruck somewhere between touchline and five meters in and seven of those times um Wilgenia played forward runners off the edge um what happens with that is um it just compresses your attacker touch so on average the wallabies ended up with about eight attackers from the touchline to the 15 which only obviously leaves them with seven attackers on, on the same way side so it just meant that uh, their attack didn't really have the opportunity to use the full width of the pitch. and I think that's probably something that, as the competition continues, that Wallabies may may look to um, potentially play off 10 from, from sideline rooks just to allow that attack to have a little bit more width.
2: Yeah, I suppose a clear example of that was from when Rory Arnold ended up passing the ball forward, and it broke down. And there was previously six players in front of the ruck on the left hand side. But uh, the the combination with Karevi and, and, and Leleofano, what one? What did you make of that, Christian? In terms of his involvement, he was only on for what, fifty minutes or so.
3: Yeah, I, I thought Christian was pretty controlled, but probably just to highlight again their attack, I think Christian only had seven passes in the game, uh, five of which were in general phase. So a lot of a lot of the the um, possession was coming off uh, Genny at nine. Um, so that combination with Christian getting his hands on the ball more, I'm um, being able to bring Kurevi and Kurandrani into the game, I think will be, will be critical going forward.
1: Bringing Tavita Kurandrani into the game, Owen, uh, again, it look looked like he had a bit of a quiet night, but is, is there something that we're missing? Is there, is there a role that he's playing that doesn't necessarily translate into stats or, or, or what we're actually seeing on the field?
3: I, again, I, I think the lack, the lack of width at times in attack is, is um, I guess, compromising potentially Drani from getting his hands on the ball in those wider channels where, where he can be de- so devastating. Um, and, and that lack, lack of ball mo- movement at times, I think, is probably when you're in that 13 channel is so important uh, to be able to get your hands on the ball.
2: Looking at the the forwards, clearly the the scrum was one of the Wallabies' great strengths from the weekend. Um, numerous scrum penalties. What what do you put that down to? Because clearly the week before they struggled
3: against the box. Yeah, and again, I think continuity of selection plays an important role there. I think there was only one change in their pack from from the Springboks game going into um, the Argentinian test, and and when you factor in the travel as well, I think Wallabies probably would have only got back into Australia Monday with a light session Tuesday and potentially another session on Thursday. So uh, having seven of the same forwards in that starting eight definitely assisted with um with I guess the dominance they had at Scrum Times. I think nine nine points uh the Wallabies back came off scrum penalties and obviously their try came off a pretty solid platform at Scrum Time. So uh they got a lot of pay from their from their dominance there at Scrum Time. And also I thought their lineout was pretty impressive. Uh I think they won 86% of their own ball. And disrupted about 58% of Puma's lineouts and stole another two. So, I think I think the Fords will be exceptionally happy with uh, with their performance from the weekend.
1: Yeah, you look at the tight five and and just the sheer amount of work that they did. You know, Rotter and Arnold seem to be the the, the locking pair that they're, they're doing so much work, hitting a lot of rucks, but also getting a few carries in there as well. So, uh, do you feel feel like that tight five seems to be locked down for them at the moment?
3: Yeah, I think also you've got Alatoa to come back in as well into that front row. Uh, Brumby's obviously had such an exceptional season. So uh, the form of that combination of Alatoa, Feinga, and um, Scott Seal, with the, again um, those three working in combination, I think will be really important. And, and yeah, to see Rada running off uh, Willie's hip there on one occasion just goes to show the athleticism he. He has around the park in general play. Oh,
0: and how much is it hurting us at the moment? Not having a genuine, uh, consistent
3: on baller. Yeah, to be fair, I actually thought at the weekend there was an improvement from the Wallabies' perspective. There, I think um, I think Michael Hooper came up with two turnovers. I think Issy Nasrani had another two turnovers. So I I thought there was much more improvement from that perspective from the first week going into the second week. And I think I when the Wallabies have quite it, they went to quite a uh, passive. Passive line speed in defence, kind of focusing more on connection in their defensive line. And I think if you, if you were to go to that type of defensive system, then it's so crucial that you're able to apply pressure on the ball to to slow slow down the opposition attack. And I, I, I thought there was significant improvement, um, especially from Hooper and, and as I said, Nasrani at the weekend. And is that um, – and we'll ask Rod
0: Kafer about this too. We're going to go to him after we've finished with you. But um, do you believe that that uh, more passive – defence, um, less line speed. Is that sustainable against a side like the All Blacks?
3: I think it's forces for courses at a time, but I, th- I think if you look at the New Zealand game at the weekend, there was actually quite a lot of um, jackal opportunities in the game. I think Kitsov, uh, Vermeulen, was probably unlucky on a couple of occasions getting on the wrong side of Nick Berry when, he, when I lo- it looked like he was in a pretty good position over the ball and France were low as well. So I, I think if you can apply pressure to New Zealand breakdown, because they play with such width, which you might talk about in a, in a little bit, um, they sometimes do under-resource the breakdown and give opportunities to uh, to, to pill for the ball.
2: How do you think it will stack up, though, if the Wallabies were to, to have that defensive line speed, that passive line speed against the All Blacks, though?
3: Yeah, it, it, it's for sure it's going to be challenging. I, I think if you allow New Zealand to to go through phase counts and getting up into 6th, 7th, 8th phase with the uh, with the firepower they have in their team then it's going to cause you issues but but I, I think connection is also a massive part of defence and again when we look ahead to the New Zealand Spring box game I think it's bridge that comes out of the line that allows uh, LaRue through that down that right hand side edge and put the chip through so there, there's different ways of defending. I think connection is a huge part of it, and, and not giving um those soft scenes for New Zealand to attack will be will be a priority. I, I'd imagine for Nathan and his defence.
0: What about uh, for New Zealand? Um, and you you would have, well, you've indicated that you have had a good look at at that, their game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big selection uh, point before that was uh, Moanga and Barrett in the same starting side. So Moanga goes to ten and Bowden Barrett goes back to, to fullback. Did that work for them?
3: Yeah, I thought it took it, obviously, a little while to bet in. I think Moanga probably got off to a little bit of a shaky start with two charge-down kicks in the opening uh, 20 minutes. But, um, yeah, I, t- I took a, a real hard look at that combination of Moanga and Barrett, and interestingly... I guess if you um, compare Moanga's involvements to say Christians from the weekend, Moanga had 30 passes at the weekend compared to Christian's seven. Mm. And of Moanga's 30 passes, a third of them went to Bowden Barrett directly. So All Blacks obviously worked hard on on that first second receiver of Moanga Barrett. And and I think Barrett was probably New Zealand's most influential player in the game with. Uh, most defenders beaten, most defenders beaten, and most carries. I thought he was exceptionally effective, and and I guess New Zealand's try coming from a turnover and and having Barrett's defence on the uh, sorry, having Barrett's pace on the edge. I think he's the, the fastest back in the um, New Zealand squad. I, I think just showing how effective he can be in those wider channels, and and did really well to put good you for that try just before halftime.
1: I must admit, yeah, I looked at that and it was scary seeing. Bowden Barrett yeah. uh, at 15 and Meyer at 10 when you looked at it on paper, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the other contrasting thing, again, if you were to compare New Zealand and Australia, um, New Zealand had a definite uh, policy of, of from an edge, so from that touchline rook, trying to get to midfield as quickly as they can. So they would bypass that forward pod uh, and Barrett mainly would play, play Kieran Reid into the middle of the field, and then split the field so they'd have Barrett on one side of the breakdown and Moonga on the other side of the breakdown. And to have that those two first receivers either side of the breakdown was causing South Africa problems because of that out-to-in defence that South Africa had with the wingers defending high and in. They were giving uh, New Zealand a lot of space on the edges, which, which New Zealand really started to expose in that second half.
1: Uh, there was a big injury concern for the All Blacks on the weekend. Brodie um looks like he's got a dislocated shoulder. It might not keep him out for, you know, the, the amount of time it looked like we, we might. But what will the All Blacks lose, do you reckon, Owen, uh, with no Retallick on the field?
3: Yeah, uh, obviously a world-class player. Him and, him and Whitelock have formed a, a pretty formidable combination, I guess, over the last four years. Um just his impact around the park as well for a second row. He's, he's probably the the best exponent exponent of of a jackal from a from a second row forward. He's exceptional over the ball, extremely high work rate, uh, and a great foil for Whitelock, who who's who's more the line-out calling lock. So it's a great combination. But I guess New Zealand's depth they got Scott Barrett to to come back into the team, and Barrett and Whitelock combination for the Crusaders at Super Rugby was clearly pretty effective there. So. Um, undoubtedly a loss, but, um, but with guys capable of filling in for them there.
2: There's, there's lots of uh, match-ups that we're looking forward to, to seeing how they come out and who who's selected where. The, the big question probably for the Wallabies at the moment is is Foley, Leliofano. You've clearly watched a lot from Bernard. What would you say, like, from watching the first week of the Wallabies to the second, do you think that they'll return to Bernard or, or what would the benefits be of uh, keeping the, the combination as it is or, or going back to what it was?
3: Yeah, I I, th- I thought clearly. I, th- I think it's been discussed um, the issues Wallabies had last year with that high press line speed from um, from the Springboks. But uh, I I I rate Foley really really highly. I, I think he's done exceptionally well for the Wallabies over the last four years, and, and brings uh, uh, an exceptional organisational skill set to the to the uh, both the Waratahs and the Wallabies back line. So. I think his combination with Will Genie as well will be important, and and I, and I guess from Christian's perspective, probably gives a little more defensive uh, solidity to the um, to the Wallabies backline. I think I think he made seven from eight tackles at the weekend, and and was really strong from that perspective. But um, both both top class players, and I think we probably haven't seen the last of that experiment between Foley at ten and Christian at ten, and and giving them both another opportunity to. Uh, to play in that position before the World Cup starts.
0: Yeah, it's a nice problem to have for Michael Checker, two viable options at at 10, and it hasn't always been the case in recent years. Owen, thanks very much for your time today. It's uh, been really interesting to get a different uh, perspective and and hopefully touch base again.
3: Yeah, thanks very much. Really appreciate you having me on, and uh, love the podcast. You're listening to the Fox Rugby
0: Podcast... Yeah, good to have Owen Toolan making his debut on the Fox Rugby podcast now. What about this, gents? Land Rover are giving three young rugby fans a chance to win an ultimate Rugby World Cup 2019 experience. The prize includes a trip to Japan, including, of course, a parent or guardian. Not going to send little kids on their own, that's fine. Uh, Plus the honour of walking on the field with the Wallabies uh, as the team's official junior mascot. So you can enter that competition now at Landrover.com. .au forward slash Wallabies. Get in on that. There's already been a, a huge response, so have a crack at that. That is fantastic Whoa. with thanks to Land Rover. Now let's get to a man I know who watched uh, the whole game, in fact called it uh, on Saturday night, Rod Kafer. Welcome to you, Kafer. Um, interested to get your thoughts on those improvements from the Wallabies. Out of out of 10, give us a score out of 10 for the Wallabies.
4: I think any time you win, Nick, and thank you firstly for the welcome back. Always a privilege <laughs> and pleasure. Uh, but um, I think whenever you, you you win Test matches, Test matches are never easy to win, and um, you know we we see that time and time again. There are there are teams emerging, particularly in this cycle, you know, a couple of months out from the World Cup, who are now starting to peak, and all of the teams are sort of looking at that build up of how they do it. So, Test match wins at this point in the cycle are, are very important, and I think the Wallabies getting a win over a, a much improved Argent, Argentine side has been pretty good. You know, if you, if you if I look at their overall performance, you probably give them a six out of ten. I don't think it was a uh, an outstanding performance. I didn't think the quality of the game, to be perfectly frank, was that high. Um, um, you know, we've seen certainly. Better quality test matches, but both teams off travel, both teams coming in. It was a little bit greasy. I think Wallace would be happy to just um, get away with the win, even though in the last moments of the game, um, the Pumas had a chance. You know, within certainly within a, a converted try to win it, so it was close.
2: Keith, um, the big talking point was coming into the match. Christian Leofano given a crack at, at ten. What did you make of
4: his performance? I was pretty steady. I mean, my my concern with him playing at ten was obviously having been behind the the Brumbies' forward pack. It was a pretty dominant forward pack in Super Rugby. It, you know, it, it, it and this is doing him a disservice, but it's not hard to look good when your forward pack's going forward and things are going well. Playing at nine and ten is is relatively easy. You can only really stuff it up um, if you if you play poorly. One of Christian's defaults is to actually. Get a little bit deeper when pressure comes on, and get a little bit lateral. He tends to want to get lateral. It's it's just a way that for a long period of time the Brumbies played, um, and I was really pleased to see him not um, not fall into that. What's a poor habit? And and really, when he when he did have opportunities with the ball, which were re- relatively limited with the way the Wallabies played, he he um, was was good with the ball, um, passed it very well and i think he he's a very good organiser which you don't necessarily see and we don't see when you watch a game on tv you don't see who's doing the organising and how things are working together he he's very controlled and calm under pressure he organises people around him he had his forward pack doing exactly what he wanted to do he got the ball when he wanted to get the ball they called the right things and and tactically i think played the game um, intelligently, and, and a lot of that was due to him. So I thought he played well.
1: There was that lovely little bit of deception, um, the ball that he gave to Cora to score that try for Rhys Hodges' try. Um, what what do you say that Christian uh, does on the field that Bernard Foley doesn't, or or vice versa? K okay, so is we? I mean, there's no clear-cut winner as to who the best ten is in Australia yet.
4: I wouldn't like to dissect them, but it'd be doing a disservice to both of them to do that because they're largely different players, but play sort of a similar game. You know, the games aren't dramatically different. I think that the little ball that Christian gave for the try, what what you don't necessarily see, unless you go back and have a look at the the, the replay that was from behind the play, is that he. He pump fakes that ball twice on the – takes it to the line, gives a little fake to the inside, which is actually the thing that um, forces um, the, uh, Geronimo de la Fuente to um, pause it in in the midfield, um, which creates the opportunity for Mar- Marika uh, Coriabetti to go around the outside. And it's those small, subtle things that – and when you watch a game, you don't see, and, and unless you look at the detail of it. And I think that's the, the there's that detail in Christian's game that I liked. Um, Berta Foley's game has has different elements to it. They're are sort of similar players in in many ways. You know, who's who's in better form? Hard to say. Your time will tell.
1: Um. Owen Tulan on the phone before said was spoke about that narrow attack. We 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 did ask him about um, Tavita Kurandrani's role in that backline. And look, by you know, if you look at the stats, um, you know, it was a pretty quiet game from Tavita once again. But and we asked this to Owen. I'd like to ask you as well. Are we seeing is is there something that Tavita's doing? Is there a role that he's playing that isn't necessarily um, what we're seeing on the you know in the
4: stats? Well, it's impossible to comment about without being in the camp and understanding how their attack's um, running and what they're doing. It's impossible to make any comment about whether he's playing good, bad or indifferent in some ways. But you would certainly like to see more involvement. Um, I think what's evident about the way the, the Wallabies attack is their attack is largely geared around their forward pack and their forwards carrying the ball the, the number of times that the ball goes from the halfback to a forward as opposed to halfback to a back, is pretty stark and it's and it's different from other teams around the world. Um, so you've got largely a forward-orientated attacking structure, which can then, by virtue of that alone, play the back line sometimes out of the game and it's difficult to get opportunities in the back line. Um, that, that might be that, um, you know, for a whole host of different reasons, it's certainly how they're structuring their attack at the moment, the Wallabies. So Tavita's opportunities are limited. Can he look in different ways to get involved in the game? Of course he can, but then equally, from a from from just a selfish perspective, that that would be him going outside of the team system and probably not something that the coaching staff want. So is he doing his role? It's hard to say. We'd like to see him being more involved in the game, of course. Could that mean that he's now doing something that's selfish and outside of the system? Yes. Is that going to be better or worse? Hard to say.
0: okay um, the return of David Pocock, uh, it it seems to be that it's, that it's close. There's obviously some whispers about it. Uh, Michael Checker spoke about it uh, on Friday at a function and then uh, across the weekend was asked about it a, a couple of times. If he is fit, um, given that he's had so long out of the game, how would you manage his return? Would you throw him back in, maybe bring him off the bench for 20 or 30 minutes against the All Blacks or would you like to see him play some club rugby in Sydney, which has been a bit of the chatter around the, the place today? What, what would you be looking at?
4: I think with a player, with a pedigree of David Pocock and the injury history that he's had, playing more rugby is not a good thing for him. So the answer, whilst it, it might appeal to the optics of having him play club footy and understand that would be great, a great experience for people around him, et cetera, et cetera, um, m- m- my view would be I, I don't necessarily see any benefit to that, apart from knowing whether he can actually um, play rugby at a level to, to get through. Um A a period of time. Um, Does that bring him closer then to his next injury? Uh, Again, I'm not sure. So so my view would be, I think he's a player who could walk straight back into playing test rugby um, without necessarily a great deal of game time underneath him coming off the bench in a game like that might be um, appropriate. Although, just because of the pure nature of the position that he plays, um, uh, you'd sort of Question: Whether he offers um, value coming off the bench, just because he he's probably in some ways, you know, although has played seven and eight, clearly he doesn't necessarily offer a great deal of impact off the bench. Maybe that's again maybe not being fair to him there, but um, so he's almost like a starter or not. So so in that from that respect, um, you know, you, you'd want to be confident that he could get through playing a large number of minutes, and, and you'd, you'd sort of doubt that at the moment. So, you know, medically, again, it's, it's hard to know without being in the camp. Mm. The, the one thing that I would say about the back row, though, is we've we've started to see a, certainly a much better balance in the back row, which is something I've certainly been critical of the selection of the back row in the past. Issy Nasirani, and I just I, – I, I was never convinced – um, that Issi Nisirani necessarily had the ability to... Uh, I hadn't seen anything in Super Rugby to suggest that he could play Test Rugby. I've been really pleasantly surprised to see his first two Test matches only early in his career, but just great to see a guy have that opportunity to step up and then, um, you know, deliver in his first two Tests. And it's not that he's been outstanding. It's just that he's been able to play at this level um, and and hold his own and be a good... Um, you know a good number eight at international level in his first two tests which is a really good sign and i i hope he's got the ability to go on and 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 continue to deliver as the, as the competition gets harder and harder which it obviously will you know potentially against the all blacks and and then into the world cup so great to see you know because he's got the frame and the body shape and the and the type of ability that we would love to be able to see in a number eight and i think he brings that so um you know, David Pocock's obviously been a recent number eight for Australia and different different style of player, obviously. But, again, a, um, you know, how Poey fits back into that Wallaby um, back row will be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, well, that was the question I was just about to ask you there, Cave, how he how he bad. fits back in. Yeah, no, you just took the words out of my mouth. Um, you know, that <clears throat> it's a nice problem to have, though, isn't it, at the moment with, you know, guys performing in that, that back row role?
4: It is, um, and and when when you look at the roles that you know the Wallabies asked Michael Hooper to play, who's a you know a fantastic player, high energy, all of those things. Um, I, I I always you know you we, we do get beaten up by other international teams. One of the reasons we lose, I think, is we just get we we lose so much of rugby, um, particularly in the way where we're wanting to play with a lot of carries from our forwards and um, with the, with the style that we've got. We, we lose the physical battle quite often in test matches that we play. It's not. It's not often we finish a test match. Certainly in the last three or four years, where we've gone, we've won that physical battle up front. And quite often it's because we we get, um, we, we we other teams play against us in a very physical way, um, knowing that that's probably our Achilles heel. In a wide open game, Michael Hooper has the potential to be unbelievable because he is such an athlete. Um, teams recognise that. They tend to try to shut our ball down um, in, in the middle of the field or, or disrupt us at the breakdown, um, knowing that we're not necessarily that effective at the breakdown, both in attack and defence. And, and when you, if you were coaching against the Wallabies they're the sort of things that you would definitely do, and we've seen the All Blacks and others do it time and time again. So getting... Getting that balance right around physicality and Pocock brings more physicality than perhaps Michael Hooper does. Hooper brings a different skill set. How you use them both in an 80 minutes is still something, you know, of conjecture. I, I would, If both players were fit and all things being equal, I would definitely think about starting David Pocock just because the type of game that he can pr- play um, lends itself probably to the first part of the game rather than the second part of the game, but equally their value in both parts of those games and and I think, um, you know, uh, Michael Hooper brings great value as the game starts to open up, certainly more than what David Pocock does, you know, their value to the team is equal, it's just in sort of different areas. Mm, Okay,
2: there's, what, 10 days or so before Australia's next test. Um, uh, What would you say the biggest improvement, the biggest work on that the Wallabies can do leading up to that first Bledisloe and Perth?
4: I think they've got to be more effective in their their attack. Their attack hasn't been been great. They've scored, what is it, three tries in their first couple of tests? Um, I think that's what the number is. If it's not, someone tell me. But I think it's roughly that... Um, they're, and therefore, um, I, I look at the attack and go, it's certainly something that needs to to improve. It. And that comes with time because they are Sean Burns doing some different work, which, and, it, and it's largely Sean Byrne will be implementing Michael Checker's view of attack because that's how the coaching works. But he, he'll be he'll be implementing Check's strategy, and, and Check has spoken about how he's had a new strategy and he was trialling things with the with the Colts at Randwick, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we're starting to see um, whether that's going to be effective or not. Um, at this stage, it, it hasn't really um, been that effective, but it is early days. The defence of the Wallabies, um, one of the great one – one of the things that I've been really pleased about is, one, they've stopped – they've moved away from one of Michael Checker's defensive ploys that he – adopted with the Waratahs back in 2012, um, or, sorry, 2013, and, and had run ever since, was this you know, floating, what they call the wolf winger, this winger who was always defending on the open side, um, left side of the field, right side of the field, didn't matter, and everybody else was shuffling around. Um, they've moved away from that, which I think is a, is a very good thing. Still the biggest bugbear for the Wallabies, and it has been for a long period of time, is their inability to stop the opposition scoring tries and thus giving away points we concede and have conceded um, for a long period of time far too many points. So um, that's that's an ongoing struggle. We conceded more than thirty against the Springboks, and you know it was pleasing to see not that many against um, the Pumas, um, and, that, and that's a trend that um, we need to to reverse you know you cannot you won't win test matches conceding more than 20 odd points a game 25 you know the best teams in the world concede less than 21 22 points sometimes less than 20 during good periods that's where we need to be to consistently win if we don't and that's where we were when we were consistently winning test matches in in you know 15 and 20 years ago we've got to get back there that's where the best teams are we have to get back there that's an ongoing Um, challenge for the Wallabies, particularly against the All Blacks.
0: Okay, the take out of all of that is that, uh, yes, some good signs on Saturday night the Wallabies are heading in the right direction, but there's still a whole lot to work on. Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast and we'll see you in
2: Perth.
4: Thank you, gentlemen.
0: Good to have Kaif on board uh, once again on the the Fox Rugby Podcast. So yeah, there's
2: masterclass uh, that was between the two of them. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> tell you, it is really it is really interesting to sit with with Kaif during matches. You just seriously, it's like sitting next to an encyclopedia when when he starts explaining things. It's stuff that you just don't see. You can learn so much
1: just listening to him and and uh, and. During a game, spending time. How often would you sit next to Kafe during a game and he'll go, there would be some sort of intricate back line move that results in a line break or a try, and he'll go, Brumbies did that back in 2000. Yeah. It was not <laughs> Brumbies' <laughs> move. We used to call it donuts. <laughs> yes. Something like that. And he's just like, mate, he just he just knows. Yeah the game so well and I've learnt more from him, I can say categorically, I've learnt more from him about the game of rugby than anyone Mm. that I was coached by or whatever. Mm. Uh, Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, very, very good. So with uh, with under
0: a fortnight to go uh, until that first Bledisloe game in Perth, um, you would expect Michael Checker will make some changes and given that he wants to win the Bledisloe, clearly, but there's more at stake down the track in terms of Rugby World Cup, he's when I want to have a look at more guys, what what is he going to do? What, what, where are the changes going to come?
2: Well, if you're looking at the forward pack, I can't see too many changes being made. Alan Alatoa being one and he'd, whether or not he comes straight in or on the bench, but he's certainly got to be in and around there. I don't think Keps has been brilliant
1: uh, at tight head. Had a decent game the other night, but nothing... Brilliant. Yeah. Right.
2: yeah. So whether or not Alan comes in and, and continue with Taniella off the bench, but, um, you know, that type five is looking pretty solid. Yeah. Nice Arani's done well. I don't think I don't think many people think Michael Hooper's going to be dropped um, and you would only uh. ever drop him for David Pocock, but you, I can't see that happening. So it's really six is the only question in the forward pack?
1: Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it Luke is, uh, it's it's sol- solid, but, uh, again, Luke has been to, uh Solakai Lotto has been very solid.
2: Mm. Hands needs to be but. much better. He's dropped way too much pill on the weekend. He did anyway. Yeah,
0: mm. not Robinson Crusoe there. But but that, that balance that we've just been talking about with Kaif is a really interesting conundrum for, for the Wallabies selectors now, not just mm. Michael Checker, because clearly the balance of that that back row has looked better, mm. but at the same time you still feel like they want to have, well, clearly the captain and David Pocock in, in that starting side. It's, yeah, it's well, a really it be, interesting discussion. I would love to be a fly on the wall.
2: Oh, totally. It would be back to, like, 2003 or so with Phil Wall and George Smith. If yeah. you're going to do it, probably, yeah, you keep maybe nicerani at eight because he's looked pretty powerful he's and his leg drive's been remarkable. Um, but it's really in the back line, isn't it? That There'd be changes and...
1: Yeah, well, I, I th- I'm still not sold on... I loved having Corabetti back in the, yeah. in the starting oh, the specialist winger. Specialist winger, genuine <laughs> gas, right, and... I'm, I, I don't know whether Reese Hodge is. I mean, he finished that try really nicely the other night, and and had put a solid game. But he's not breakneck speed, is he? I'd love to have two speedsters on the wings, or who's, you who's know, your alternative, Tom Banks, perhaps? Tom Banks, perhaps, and then and then you know you bring in. Um, you still got Kirtley at the back. I thought he was brilliant at fullback. Um, you know, it was, it was solid enough.
2: Yeah, beaten a couple of times in the air, but he gives that kicking spark. that balance. Yeah, the ability to 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 come in at second at second phase. So but but uh Foley, Lelia Fano, for me, I think it would be harsh for Christian I think they, both of them will get one test each, but I think with the benefit of continuity, it would be helpful for Christian to play this one. And if you know you know what you're gonna get with from Bird and Foley anyway. Do we know what we're gonna get from Christian Leliafano yet? Against the all blacks against the all blacks, no we don't. So I think the I, I, for that reason I'd like to see Christian and remain at ten. Even though I think Bernard Foley for the first test of the world for the first World Cup match will be your ten.
1: Uh, just quickly, how well did Will Getty play the other night? We haven't actually said his name the whole yeah. night, but he was outstanding. The brilliant spark for the wall yep. of and the reception
2: night. he received. Well, him and Christian as well as off the bench with James O'Connor. That was well, that was one of the more pleasing things to see out of it was how they were received and the, the huge standing ovation that they got
0: in front of a. What, 32,000? It was the biggest crowd for a uh, Wallabies-Argentina test match on Australian soil. Brilliant. So uh, it was excellent. So do we agree that uh, at the moment as it stands, it's hard to argue, that South Africa is the biggest challenger to the All Blacks domination in the Southern Hemisphere? Um, But there's also some really interesting... uh, Matches coming up in the Northern Hemisphere in terms of trials, well, yeah. more than trials, uh, some
1: big big names playing each other ahead of the World Cup. Yeah, well, I mean, all those Six Nations teams all have a decent crack against each other. You can get all those on being in sports um, over the next few weeks. England take on Wales twice. England play Ireland. Um, Wales play Ireland. You know, Scotland are involved in there as well. So, I mean, there's... Plenty of Northern Hemisphere um, rugby to come, and they'll be smashing each other as well in the build-up to this you, uh, this World Cup. You just
2: wonder as, as much as all these extra matches are good, they've already had their Six Nations campaign, so they've played a lot, lot of rugby. They're going to play more rugby than the Wallabies or any of the Southern Hemisphere teams will have. But that was six months ago. Yeah, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see how what injuries come about because people have their favourites. I remember, I think it was Rhys Webb who got injured in the last trial match before the World Cup. The the, the Welsh starting half-pack at mm. the time, and that was a huge blow. Like, you know, if you see some of those key playmakers go down to on one of two forwards, it will just change the the whole complexity of of the World Cup and who's favourites and who's not.
1: Wales play Ireland twice. Yep. That's, that's big, I reckon, those two sides. Remember that Six what, Nations what, game? Wales carved them up earlier in the year. They did, but they smashed each other as well. Yep. Didn't they? Uh, there could be some carnage to come yeah. up there.
0: Uh, it's just a great period of time. And, of course, uh, once we hit the, the World Cup September 20 and and then Australia's first game against uh, Fiji September 21 and it's not long to wait and all of that all 48 matches so no matter where you're from every game every nation uh on fox sports so looking forward to that the other interesting result from the weekend that we haven't touched on it's worth a mention you know so we're all thinking gee is fiji a danger game uh that that first weekend of
1: the world cup our first Pool game that were beaten by Japan. Japan on the weekend. Japan are a powerhouse, mate. They're peaking at the right time. <laughs> well, they're out well Look out, Island. <laughs> yeah. Look out, Island. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be absolutely amazing? I've just ticked off
0: the Emerald Isle. There you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not, the first, not the first, Tim Horan, if you're listening. Um, yeah, no, no, it's uh, it's it's all coming your way on uh, on September 20 and, and the final November 2nd. So there's a lot to look forward to. Gents, thanks very much for your company this week on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Thanks also to Owen Toolan and also the great Rodney Kafer. And don't forget the Fox Rugby Podcast brought to you by Land Rover, proud sponsor of the Qantas Wallabies and Rugby World Cup 2019.